Hello and welcome to Stockwatch. I'm Zinati Guma and joining me to wrap this week up are Chantal Marks from FNB Wealth and Investments and Zuela Kemguni from Benguela Global Fund Managers. Thank you so much to the both of you for joining us. Let's start off with what roiled the markets this week and it was the UK's fiscal plan or the aftermath of it um, and also the Bank of England coming in to kind of try and save the day. Uh, starting with you Chantal, I just want to know from you the intervention that the Bank of England has undertaken to kind of calm the bond market. Is that enough to soothe investor fears right now? So I think the biggest thing is that the, the BOE is between a rock and a hard place, right? So mm -hmm. they're actually trying to, to tighten financial conditions. They're trying to raise interest rates to rein in inflation. And now they're being forced to step in and do something that's more in line with a looser monetary policy approach. Yeah. So they actually have to buy bonds, uh, which is akin to, to quantitative easing, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it's going to be difficult to... Uh, it's it's going time i think will tell whether or not they'll be able to get that balance right but i think that ba to achieve that balance is going to be exceptionally difficult and that's added to i think market uncertainty and and happiness with the the scenario in its yeah. entirety and that's the thing as well like it because there are many contradicting things happening right now um you do have the Bank of England trying to tighten, as Chantal said, but then you also have now fiscal policy going in, kind of trying to stimulate growth. And now you have the Bank of England buying bonds, which is basically now in the direction of loose monetary policy. So I'm interested now in terms of their interest rate path. What choice do they have there now? Yeah, I think they're facing a big challenge. I mean, I think, I think the bottom line is their fiscals, or, or at least their central bank, cannot constantly print money to support the government. Uh, and there has to be some third parties who are buying those bonds. But I think one of the problems is that they, they actually give enough incentive for people to, to feel comfortable about the risk-return trade-off. So in essence, the tax cuts that they put forward mean that they will have less uh, uh, tax income and there's going to be a wider uh, uh, current account uh, uh, deficit. Mm. And because of that, they, sorry, the, the fiscal deficit, I, I think because of that, they will actually end up with uh, having to issue more bonds. And I think what we've seen with their bonds blowing out, it's essentially telling people that, the investors don't have confidence that they'll be able to do that successfully. So that they, there isn't much that they can do. They will have to hike rates while they're supporting the government on the other side. So to be the buyer of last resort for government bonds. Yeah. Chantal, let's actually go back to actually how this started um, with the announcement of those unfunded tax cuts. You had the IMF coming out this week and saying that it's not really supportive of the move. Where are you on that fence? Yeah, I think tax cuts are all good and well when you want to stimulate economic growth and when you want to give some relief to consumers who I, who I believe are increasingly under pressure, uh, particularly in the UK when it comes to energy costs. But you have to be able to fund those tax costs. Uh, these are unfunded tax costs. They don't have any idea where they're going to get the money from. Um, and what that translates to is they're going to have to probably borrow that money. Um, and and I think it was just kind of a poorly thought thought through plan 
Um, I think that they were trying to be popular um, by, by taking that approach. Um, yeah. And I mean, this is, it's conservative politics 101, right? Yeah. Cut taxes, um, keep, keep, the, keep businesses and the wealthy happy um, and worry about the, la- the, the rest a little bit later on. But the reality is that even in conservative politics, you don't want to run a big uh, budget deficit. And this is exactly what they're doing. So they're not, they're not even keeping to their own playbook. It's bizarre, really. Yeah. All right. With that, uh, let me go to a question here. Would this be a good time to buy UK exposed stocks that seem quite cheap? Or should people wait until the smoke clears? Zulake. Yeah, I, I think a bit cautious. I mean, the, the emerging companies that have more annuity income uh, streams in the, in the UK, but certainly I'd be a lot more cautious about uh, piling into the into the UK. I think the situation is not only at the fiscal level or at the monetary level. If you look at the ground in the economy, I mean, their big breakup with the EU has left that economy quite vulnerable and even at individual level, household level, the level of debt has gone up. So, so at some point, somebody has to stop uh, borrowing and basically stabilize uh, their debt level. So there could be a, a, a pressure on, on the economy uh, going forward. So, so I'll, I'll be cautious about going in. I look for many businesses that are in software, uh, those type of businesses where there is an annuity stream, but I'll be cautious about discretionary uh, uh, consumer businesses. Uh, Chantal, what about the stocks that are exposed to the UK in terms of the financial sector? So your Investec, 91, and, and those kinds of stocks. So I think that it, it, you have to look at the relative exposure and you have to look at where those valuations were to start with. So I think uh, a stock like Investec and 91 to a certain extent um, they do have big exposure to the UK, but they also have massive exposure to the South African market. And both companies were trading at very, very low multiples to start with. Mm. So perhaps this further beating down could be an opportunity to start getting involved. I mean, banks generally are, they are exposed to um, a consumer under pressure, but they should benefit from higher household borrowing because it would probably be kind of forced yeah. and from higher interest rates. And the likes of the 91, obviously, when you have major market volatility and a bear market like the one that we've seen just now, the stock would have come under a lot of pressure. But these conditions don't last forever. So as soon as the market starts uh, figuring out where the bottom is and market participants decide that okay, enough is enough, and I do think that we are pretty close to, to getting there, you should start seeing asset managers do well again. Yeah. So it, I think you, you kind of highlighted the stocks where I would actually seek out exposure. Um, but, I mean, as Zulaki said, I wouldn't be comfortable with massive consumer discretionary exposure right now because I think things are going to get really tight in the UK before they get better. Yeah. Uh, there's a question here. Uh, on a five-year view, should I commit my remaining cash to the market? I mean, it really seems like there's no way to hide. Investors all over are really taking pain. So, I mean, what considerations here, Zolaika, should an investor take as they, they, they look for value in the market? Yeah, I, I think on a five-year view, I mean, if I remember correctly, on any rolling five-year basis, the market is tended to... Uh, be higher than uh, the the previous uh, five years. So uh, 
five year is a good time, and I think one have to just be cautious and be calm. I think there's two things you need to find defensive businesses. You also have to be calm yourself because there's going to be a lot of volatility in the market in the next probably 12 months. I mean, we don't know what's happening in in Europe, uh, in the case and the war in Ukraine, uh, and potentially a sizable recession in uh, the US and, and China. Those things would have short-term impact, but I think that might not be a bad time to actually start plowing some cash and actually uh, ensure that in, the, in five years' time you're going to come out uh, in, a, in a good position. Stocks have pulled back, but there are some areas that haven't pulled back enough to actually uh, make a big bet. How to diversify, uh, find defensive companies, and become. Mm. Uh, you were talking just now, Chantal, about uh, maybe applying caution to um, stocks that are exposed to consumer discretionary spending. And there's actually a question here. Would City Lodge and Sun City be good bets? Oh, yeah, there's this, there's consumer discretionary and then there's travel, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that, that where we are currently, travel really is in vogue. Um, I mean, these share prices have come back a little bit, but they've recovered quite well off of the lows of, of COVID-19. Um, but I don't think that they respond, they're, they're pricing in a full recovery in the travel market. Now, from a South African perspective, we are also not fully there when it comes to international arrivals, although local domestic travel has picked up quite nicely. And, and that, that has benefited the likes of City Lodge. I think their occupancies are back to pre-COVID-19 levels. Um, Sun International is said to benefit a lot more from international travel. I think we're at about, at about 60% of where we were prior to COVID-19. Um, and there's still, a lot of, there's still a lot of scope for that growth to come through. And I mean, while it may feel like the, the tourists aren't coming back, perhaps it's just a delayed kind of response from a South African perspective. Because if you look at where tourism really started picking up globally, it was during the summer months in Europe, which was our winter, not really a popular time to visit mm. South Africa. So I think December, Jan, Feb, March is going to be a really interesting one to, to keep an eye out for. And I think that there's certainly scope for occupancies to improve, for gaming revenue to improve, and, and for everything else to look quite sunny. And for the likes of Sun International, that's also now got a much better balance sheet and no longer have that tricky exposure that they used to have to Latin America. Mm. Uh, Zorake, how much sun do you think will shine on Sun City and, uh, and City Lodge? Yeah, I agree with uh, Chantal. I think uh, I mean, City Lodge will probably uh, continue to benefit because it's more skewed towards the local travel. And as she says, the, the international side, I'm a bit more cautious about that. I think uh, if we are going to a difficult environment uh, economically around the world, I think it would make it hard for people to travel. They'll be a bit more cautious. But having said that, I think with the rent depreciating, that might actually create an attractive uh, uh, travel destination uh, out of South Africa for, for foreign travelers. So we might see it starting to trickle in maybe early next year. But I certainly think... If I had to choose between the two, I'd probably go for City Lodge. Uh, the, the numbers that they reported, I think the, the second half was stronger. And I think I think that, that if they just keep the, the, the momentum, they should be able to trade at about 10 times earnings in, in 
in the next uh, six months. Mm. Uh, before we go to break, I actually just want to ask you, uh, Chantal, about Porsche. I mean, you have this company um, coming into a turbulent market. We haven't really seen many IPOs during this time, and some had been wondering if this is even a good idea um, uh, to implement an IPO at this time. Uh, what was your sentiment on that IPO? Oh, wow. So, I mean, this thing is so complicated, right? Because you have Porsche SE, which owns a big stake in VW, which owns Porsche, Porsche <laughs> AG, which is now listed Porsche AG and also sold back some of those shares to Porsche SC. Okay. <laughs> I hope you're still following me. But, but, but basically what happened there is that both Porsche SC, which is the parent company or the, the majority or has a big stake in VW and VW are trading at, at extremely low multiples. Um, these stocks are very, very undervalued by the market, be it because of Dieselgate or, um, or whatever the story is, oh. Tesla, um, the love for Tesla kind of clouding over everything else. But these stocks have been severely depressed in terms of the valuation. And I think the thinking was that the listing of Porsche AG uh, might be a value unlocked for, for shareholders. And I, I think that it's actually a, a really good move to make. When you have a company that has that is a sum of its parts mm -hmm. and it is valued at much lower than that sum of its parts, um, listing or unbundling or finding a proper market value for it is a good way for the market to know exactly what is worth, what what that specific stake is worth. Mm. So, I mean, I think it was a, a pretty solid thing to do. The IPO priced very well, and I'm excited to to see what what next for Porsche SC and for VW in particular, which is a stock I love. So we were talking about uh, turbulent markets and there's actually a very long question on the recession and market reactions. So I've broken it up into two and I hope that's actually helpful. Zolak, I want to start with you. Uh, based on historical data of previous recessions and the market's reaction, what is the expected duration of this recession? <laughs> <laughs> If I knew the answer, uh, I'd be sitting at home. <laughs> uh, but on a serious note, I, I, I think it, it, it depends on a number of factors. So yeah. the, the response of the central banks would play a big role. Uh, the response of the government would also play a role, so the fiscal and monetary responses. And to make an example, I mean, you look at the COVID-19 situation, it was very short because there was a massive response worldwide. I don't think we'll have the same kind of response, but you probably could look at maybe uh, six months that numbers look bad and might be a period of uh, maximum pessimism uh, in, in the market, might be a, a great time to allocate capital into, into stocks. So I, I don't think there is a guaranteed uh, duration, but you're probably looking at between six and 12 months in terms of the economy, but the market will always price ahead of the actual announcement of a recession and will price out ahead again before the actual recession ends. Mm. Um, all right, so the second part of the question, has the market's reaction already happened or will it continue throughout the recession period? And when will the market start to recover? At the end of the recession or halfway through the recession or 75 percent through the recession <laughs> i'm not sure if you got I, all of that chantal <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I think Zalaki actually answered the question. Yeah. So the market tends to price these things in way in advance and then they tend to price out of it way in advance as well. Uh, so you might even see the market already pricing in the recession right now or being super close to reaching a bottom in the in the anticipation of a recession taking place, if it's even going to take place, because that's still up for, for debate as well. Mm. And then in terms of pricing out of the recession, as soon as you start seeing a central bank response, or, the, or as soon as there are murmurings of a central bank response, you should start seeing the market move up again. Um, it almost always happens earlier than the actual economic, um, than, than, than the, the actual economic change or the actual economic data releases. Just sticking with you, Chantal, uh, you talk about the markets already um, seeming like it is pricing in a recession, but do you think that the markets have priced in fully the impact of what the recession will have on company earnings? So, I mean, analysts have become quite bearish and quite quickly. So you could still see a situation where um, earnings expectations do come down. Mm. I do think that the extent of which the market is pricing in interest rate hikes and high bond yields is probably, um, it's probably fair um, to slightly bearish. Yeah. I think that the, the earnings downgrades could still come through. But, I mean, companies are quite flexible in how they manage these things as well. You're already seeing as companies get concerned over top line and top line growth, they're starting to think about margins. So a lot of companies have already announced that they are reducing headcounts, um, that they are focusing on cost efficiencies and cost containment. Um, and in that way, you do protect your, your bottom line. So, I mean, these, these downgrades will come through, but I mean, I, I, don't, I don't foresee a, a total collapse in company earnings uh, this time around. Yeah, indeed. We actually saw that with the Bed Bath & Beyond, they came out with quarter two results with their loss widening and also reporting a 28% slump in, in its sales, but also saying that those results came in before their strategic review of reducing the headcount and doing all the things that it needs to do to protect its margins. Um, there's actually still another part to this question, Zulaika. So should I buy shares now or wait for the actual recession to start as the formal definition of a recession of two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. But that's also complicated because you also get in the U.S. where you've had two consecutive quarters of contraction, but it's also not really called a recession. So should one start buying shares now, wait for the recession to start? Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd start inching in. I mean, the shares are down quite a lot. Uh, uh, we, I think we've taken off the... the, the 2021 20, uh, height, uh, so, so the bottom of 2021. But but I think I'll probably start looking at uh, allocating some capital to extremely undervalued stocks. Right? So so where uh, it's been beaten down so much that a very little turnaround in performance, uh, operational performance, would make a big difference. But I equally say that uh, it is difficult to time this thing. So you have to expect that there will be turbulence. I mean, stocks that you could buy now, they could be, continue becoming cheaper. So I, I would certainly start uh, uh, nibbling in, into, into stocks. And as the bad news are released, I'll try and accelerate that, that pace of uh, buying. You see that things are changing by what Apple um, announced this week saying that because of faltering demand, they won't be boosting their iPhone production. 
Uh, you also had Bank of America coming in after that and downgrading um, the stock from a buy to neutral. I mean, Chantal, this is a stock that is seen as being defensive in that tech complex. I'm wondering how, if anything has changed for you uh, looking at Apple. No, I still really like the, the stock. I still really like the long-term story. I do think that there are specific reasons why you are seeing demand faltering. And, and one of the biggest reasons, I think, is that you still have a lot of uncertainty coming through from, from China. Um, and you have lockdowns and, and, and all the rest that you're still competing with. Um, and then when consumers are a little bit nervous, they'll put, they, they'll put off big ticket items, right? So, or purchasing big ticket items and, and a phone. Let's face it, it's a big ticket item. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not something you do every single day. Yeah. So I think that they've, they've probably responded well. Rather do that than have excess inventory that you can't get rid of, especially if you're releasing a new phone every two years. Um, you'd rather want to get a lot of excitement going on the new releases um, and maybe make up for whatever you are losing out on right now. Then. Yeah. Zuleka, do you think it maybe could be an overreaction that the Bank of America has downgraded the stock? So I think I think the numbers that are going to come are probably going to be uh, uh, disappointing to some extent. Certainly, if you compare to beginning of year expectations. However, I do think it's a good uh, business. It's a good quality company. I, I think uh, in the long term you should be fine with this stock. Uh, in the short term, you might have some turbulence and numbers that are coming out below expectations, and that might create a buying opportunity. So. I certainly think it's a good business. Uh, I don't. I have no doubt about it. Mm. All right. Uh, there's a question here on AECI. Can the panel comment on the long-term prospects for the stock, Chantal? Yeah. So I mean, this is a stock that I've, I actually had a very quick look at the the share price graph, and I mean, over the last five years, uh, there are a few special dividends in between. The stock's down thirty. No, that's sorry. That is actually Sun International. The, the stock's mm. down 17, 18 percent over the last five years. Yeah. Um, and that is while we have been going through a, a mining boom. Now, mm. the interesting thing about mining support services, where the stock plays, I mean, they're in a few. They're they're quite diversified. But one of their biggest businesses is is mining support. Is that it does come a little while after the mining boom. So we've had this this upswing in commodity prices. It's come off a little bit. There is concern that we don't have enough supply of commodities or new supply coming online from, from new expansions over the next few years, which is where these guys are probably going to start getting in, involved. Um, so, I mean, it's a late cycle play. Um, and I do think that we are, are there or at least approaching it. Um, and yeah, I think that they could benefit from something like this. The stock has been completely beaten down. They pay a massive dividend as mm. well. So, I mean, I really like it for the long term. I would be very comfortable being invested in AACI. Mm. Let's go into uh, paper and packaging, SAPI. So uh, that stock has actually had quite a good run this week. At some point, it was up 8%. And uh, yesterday they said that they're selling uh, three of their mills as they reduce uh, their exposure to the graphic paper segment. Um, the stock is down a little bit today, though. But uh, that sale, Zulake, how big is it for SAPI, considering that um, a lot of investors have been concerned about debt in the past and saying that uh, the money from this transaction will also be used to be paying uh, some of the debt? On the question, uh, first of all, is 
whether they, this was optional or a forced uh, sale ah. uh, upon them I mean, to, to try and address the, the debt situation. Ah. I think if you look at the history of SAPI, they've always been in the earlier years, they were buying mills to try and close them and take capacity out. And that actually led to accumulation of debt. Uh, and they are now at a point where they need to actually uh, run the business. And I think the reason why the stock rallied was that Perhaps it's a signal that the, the company is starting to take a different approach where they are selling the mills to basically, as I say, potentially forced upon them to pay off the debt. But potentially it's a good signal that management is starting to focus on uh, less graphic paper, less uh, 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 paper market and focus more on packaging and the, the uh, cellulose uh, uh, market to, to try and, uh, and, and build that business in that area. So uh, I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think, for me, it's, it's a stock that I really like, but I mean, this could potentially be a turning point in their strategy. Mm. Um, Chantal, I'm actually interested in Capitec. They came out with their results yesterday and um, the market really, really disappointed. Um, <laughs> this has become a trend. And I'm wondering right now, because the market has been complaining that it's expensive, would this be the time to sell? If you're already in it, do you sell or do you hold? Yeah, there's a, there's a term called price for perfection. And, and Capitex price for perfection five times over because it's five times more expensive than its closest yeah. rival. Um, so... It's a, it's a very, it's expensive. It's, it's pricing in massive growth. It's pricing in um, 20 plus percent growth um, into, into perpetuity. Mm. Uh, and that's in the bottom line, right? Mm. Um, but it is becoming more like a traditional bank. Um, they're still adding customers quite quickly. They do have new lines of businesses, business that's doing quite well. But off of this massive base, it's going to be very tough for them to grow at the multiples that the, the market is implying that they will grow at. So, I mean, in, even after this dip, uh, I'd probably lighten a little bit. It could still come yeah. under pressure. Um, that said, it is Capitec, right? Yeah. It always makes a bit of a comeback. So exactly. um, I'd, I'd probably, if it, if it goes down a, another few hundred rand, yeah. I'd probably start thinking about getting involved, yeah. actually. Okay, all right. Uh, Zolake, don't have time for your comment on uh, Capitec. Time flies when you're having fun. So let's get to your stock pick for today. No, I'll, I'll go with Microsoft. Uh, I think uh, my, my, my preference is for, for a company that is uh, fairly stable, very well run, and has a uh, lot of a new income. I think the stock has pulled back uh, quite significantly. Relative to the Nasdaq, for example, it, it's only down about 15%. I think relative to 25% for the Nasdaq. I think the, the stock is uh, in great shape. Uh, the, the portfolio is well balanced between uh, the consumer, the, the cloud, and the business uh, uh, softwares. Mm -hmm. So so I think it, uh, it's over 20-something times. I think it's not screaming by but i think technically it would be a good place to hide during this uh, turbulence in the market all right um your place to hide chantal 
Yeah, also a place to hide. Um, my pick today is Rebgrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, you you have a company that is trading at a 40% discount to its net asset value, but they're not just sitting there with investments and doing absolutely nothing about it. They're actually sweating their assets quite hard at the moment. And I'm, in, I'm really enjoying the new vigor from that management team. Um, CIVH, which is their fiber business, um, is, is on the verge of a, of a big deal with Photocom. That business has actually just turned profitable um, after recording massive losses uh, previously. They've, they've unbundled RMH to shareholders. They're left with first round that should benefit from higher interest rates. Um, the MediClinic deal is going to go through. Healthcare fundamentals look really great at the moment. Uh, they've got RMI in there that's going to benefit from a hardening insurance market. So, so a lot, a lot in there that that you can really get excited about um, at a pretty decent price tag. Mm. All right, well, thank you to the both of you for joining us today, and that's it for Stock Watch this week. Thanks to my guest Chantal Marks from FNB Wealth and Investments, and Zolakem Guni from Benguela Global Fund Managers. From me and the rest of the team, have a great weekend.